for today, the second Sunday in Lent, is the Gospel lesson from St. Matthew 6. Our sermon series continues on the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, with the eighth installment today. And the title of the sermon is Treasure. Now, who doesn't like treasure? Right? Who doesn't like treasure? Many people are interested in stories about treasure. And of course, the riches of a treasure are great, but for some, it's even the thrill of the hunt as well, to try to find that treasure. There have been so many books written about treasure, so many movies made about finding some kind of hidden treasure. So we could easily conclude people are interested in treasure. They're interested in finding treasure. Now another group of people that are found interesting by many are pirates. Anybody interested in pirates? I mean, I know those pirates in the Caribbean movies that were so popular several years ago, I mean, that really spiked an interest in pirates. And one of the reasons pirates are so interesting is because they have treasure, right? Pirates have treasure, and they were infamous for hiding that treasure. I mean, the heart could get pumping if you came across a pirate treasure map and you found the X marks the spot and you start to dig that up. Now, actually, as a child, uh, I was very interested in, in treasure. I thought it was just a very interesting thing as a child, and I, I loved to read books about treasures. Some of them were books about treasures that people had found, that they had discovered. Others were uh, books about treasures that had not been found and where people think, thought they might be. So I watched movies about treasure and finding treasure. Some of my favorite movies as a young person were those Indiana Jones series of movies. I see a couple people smiling. You like those too. And they were about you know, finding these hidden and, and lost things. What excitement. How exciting. Another one of my favorites as a kid was Treasure Island. You know, the, the Disney version of that? Many of you remember that? With the young Hawkins and the double-crossing Long John Silver as they have the buried treasure in that movie. And as a kid, I even made an attempt to find treasure. Did you know that? My mom's not here today, but she probably could, uh, could recollect that. And, uh, you know, I read comic books as a kid. Some of you might have done that now. Now comic books are more for adults. Kids don't read comic books anymore. But, you know, when I was a kid, kids read comic books, and they had these ads in the back of the comic books. Remember that? For the stuff you could order, it was usually like kind of dubious in nature. was it what they advertised. And I saw in the back of this comic book a real treasure map. You could order a treasure map. So, of course, I had to get that. So I saved up, you know, my allowance and sent off for it in the mail, and this is, you know, before the days of Amazon, things take a long time, so I'm checking the mailbox, and finally one day, this kind of a vanilla cylinder tube came, and I was like, this has got to be it, so I, I excitedly ripped that thing open, I pulled it, and it was the treasure map, I pulled it out, but basically what this thing was, was an artist's rendition, a very, very nicely done artist's rendition of the entire state of Florida with different treasures, you know, pirates drawn on there, where they were supposed to be. It was pretty general. It's a whole state. It wasn't like, you know, go this many paces and find treasure, right? I still have that thing somewhere. I spent, I don't know, about an hour looking for it. I was going to bring it in, but I couldn't find it. It's lost somewhere, you know, in the house. But I've always kept that little treasure map. But I was undeterred with 
my treasure map as a child because we were going on a vacation to Florida. That's why I wanted that map. And interestingly enough, the place we were going was off the coast of Tampa. And it was called Treasure Island. It's a real place. There had to be treasure there. So I actually, I actually got, I can't remember if I got it as a gift or I saved up my money, but I bought a metal detector. Okay, I bought a metal detector and I insisted we take that thing down there in Florida because I was going to find this entire treasure, right? So I did use the metal detector some out of the beach and it was kind of fun, but I think I just found maybe a few coins and beer cans mostly buried under the sand. So that was my experience as a treasure hunter, but I found it very interesting. But you know, I did a little research in the sermon about people finding treasures and you know, it does happen, of course. And, and despite these professionals that spend lots of money and do a lot of research, there have been people who found treasures as amateurs or even by accident. One interesting story was in 1992, a farmer in England found a treasure worth about $4 million. And you know how he did it? He had just plowed a field on his farm, and he dropped his hammer in the process of uh, falling off the plow or something. And so he went over to his neighbor's house because his neighbor had a metal detector. And they went out looking for the hammer, but guess what they found? There was a buried treasure of coins and other artifacts from the 5th century A.D. $4 million. Guy found basically without even looking for it. So sometimes we have a plan in our lives to get material things and, and riches, but the plan doesn't work, does it? But then other times, a great treasure might just be dumped right into our lap. Sometimes we don't even recognize it, do we? So the portion of the Sermon on the Mount that we hear today, Jesus is speaking about treasure, isn't he? Your ears perk up. Jesus is talking about treasure. What's he talking about? And what Jesus is doing is he is continuing this pattern that we've seen of making contrasts in the Sermon on the Mount. He contrasts things related to treasure, the eyes, and to masters. Two treasures, two eyes, and two masters. And there is the material world, and there is the spiritual world, Jesus is telling us. Now, Jesus actually preaches a very similar message. If you look in St. Luke chapter 12, you'll see a very similar thing to what he's saying here in the Sermon on the Mount. So once again, Jesus, he's not saying that all earthly wealth is wrong. What he is saying that is if your primary pursuit of life is that, that is where you find your true value, well, then you are on the wrong path. You are not taking the right path. Because earthly treasures are actually not always what they are cracked up to be, are they? I mean, how many stories have we heard of people who've made a lot of money, lottery winners or famous singers, and then they're, they're bankrupt? You know, they're just trying to get by. It's not always what you think it's going to be. People have been changed by money. You know, an insurance salesman, so consider they're trying to sell insurance, and said, you know, you got to have your, all these affairs in order because money changes people. You give somebody a chunk of money, they may not be the same person. you got to have you know, your wishes down. So I, a little funny story about this. i got, I got a few stories for you today. I usually only tell one or two, but this, this sermon kind of lent itself to a few different stories here. But this is one I know Shoshana will remember because uh, this is something we did uh, years ago that relates to treasure. I don't know if you remember it yet, but... I told you I loved Treasure Island when I was a kid, the movie, right? So, of course, when Reagan got old enough and she wanted to know about pirates, I had to watch it with her, right? We do the stuff we like with our kids, and she liked the movie. So, one year, we decided, uh, years ago, to take her to Disney World for a vacation. 
So we thought this would be fun, just trying to like have like a fun way to reveal this. So what we did was we wrote a letter and drew a treasure map, and we put it in the mail addressed to Reagan from the Long John Silver Society. Doesn't really exist, of course, but you know. So she opens this thing, and she is ecstatic about this. And so we went out, and the, the treasure map took you around our property, and she had to find different clues and everything. And then eventually you got to a spot where she would dig, and she dug up the thing, and it was tickets to Disney World. It was the tickets to Disney World where the buried treasures. So that was kind of a fun thing we did. And we thought she would kind of figure it out. You know, in the game, she did it. We had to tell her that we actually did this. You know, she, the whole time, the Long John Silver Society sent me tickets to Disney World, you know? It was a lot of fun. Maybe she's listening in Thailand. She, she was only eight. Oh, she was only eight. Yeah, let me give the age. So she was only eight years old, but we had a lot of fun with that. But the point is, she believed that this was a, a real treasure, you know, planted in all this by somebody else, not her parents. So many times people believe in the treasures of the world, that they believe what they're told about, this is it, this is what it's really about. This is what makes life worth living, having all of these creature comforts. And I'm not just talking about, you know, some people, every time you meet them, they've got a new get-rich-quick scheme, right? Doesn't seem to usually work. These get rich quick schemes. But I'm not just talking about people like that. Oh, this is going to be the big thing. This is going to be the big thing. I'm talking about it could be just people that they just work all the time because they just want more stuff. They want they want to accumulate wealth. They want to live the so-called good life, at least by our 21st century American standards. Have all the things we're supposed to have. It's called we used to call it keeping up with the Joneses, right? You can be obsessed like my neighbor has this cool new lawnmower, so I got to have one too. And all this kind of stuff. So we can be driven by that. Now, money and wealth are necessary to survive in the world, aren't they? I mean, we have things that we need. We need food. We need uh, shelter. We need clothing. Jesus is going to talk about, we'll see that next Sunday. We need those things, and guess what? They cost money, don't they? So we do need to have some type of material means of exchange so that we can survive. But what Jesus is talking about here is people want more. They're just driven more and more. Verse 19, it tells us that the treasures of the earth are fleeting. Because what will happen to these things? Jesus says the moths will come and eat those clothes up. The rust will come and those riches and things will decay. And then you could have a thief break in. A thief could come in and they could steal all that stuff that you worked so hard for. And you know what? Today, Thievery doesn't even have to be someone breaking into your house, does it? You remember recently in the news, this FTX crypto thing that went on? Within a matter of minutes, maybe even seconds, people lost billions of dollars around the world from this thing. Their hard-earned money was just gone. So if your existence was tied in with that money, that's, I mean, I wouldn't like it, but it's going to be devastating for someone that's, their whole existence. So thieves can break in. They don't have to break in your house anymore. They just get into your computer. They just trick you into giving you money and say, well, I'm going to make this money bigger. And it just uh, ends up being a Ponzi scheme or something. 
But what if you do manage to keep all your treasures till the day you die? You accumulate quite a collection of treasures and you die. Well, the day you die, then you don't have them anymore. Then you can't do anything with them then. A man reported to a friend of his that a wealthy person that you died, and the friend said, well, how much did he leave? And his friend responded, I think he left it all. <laughs> he didn't take any of it with him. You know? But that's true. Whenever we accumulate these treasures of the world, we're going to leave them here. Somebody else is going to get them. So this is what happens with the folly of the treasures of the world. So when we examine our own hearts today, it's always good to do that, especially in the season of Lent. We even more so encourage that, to examine our own hearts. We have to be honest about how much of our pursuit of wealth is really greedy. Because greed is a sin. And much of this is driven by greed. And greed will lead people to do things that they never thought they would do. You can maybe think of examples of people that you know, and even your own life. Like I said, you give some people money and it changes them. You thought you knew this person, now you don't. There have been so many marriages of people who were not celebrities and they were married and then they become a celebrity. I don't know what the rate is, but it seems like it's like almost always going to end in divorce. You know, money changes it. So these earthly treasures are not all they're cracked up to be. Greed will lead people to do things they never would have thought they would have done. It will lead them to hurt other people to get what they want. And you know what? They may have even started out accumulating this stuff, rationalizing it. They might have said, well, I'm, yeah, I'm going to go out, I'm going to accumulate all this wealth, but then the greed took control. The greed took control. There's a popular television series that was on several years ago. It's still, you know, very popular on Netflix, but the show is called Breaking Bad. Maybe some of you have heard of it before. But that's basically what the show is about, whether you've seen it or haven't seen it. Is there's this guy's the main character's name is Walter White, and he's basically kind of this mild-mannered science teacher. And what happens is he is diagnosed with cancer. And he's afraid, you know, if he dies of cancer, his family, how are they going to be taken care of? So he uses his knowledge of science to start making illegal drugs and selling them. And so he's like, well, I'm going to get this much money, and then after I'm gone, my family will be fine. But once he starts doing that, what happens is it becomes about money and power and ego. And by the end of the thing, he has descended into a darker and darker and darker place, and he loses everything that he wanted to save, everything he used to rationalize doing this bad thing, he loses everything that he said was important to him by the end of it. Now Luther, in preaching about these Greeks, that these verses, that's what he focuses a lot on in this commentary to sermon. He talks about greed, and he even personifies greed. He calls it Sir Greed. That's what he calls it, Sir Greed. And he characterizes greed, he puts it right up there with false teaching. He says there's really two things that are destroying the church. And he said it's false teaching and it's greed, is what Luther writes in the sermons. And he says it's really foolish to make these things a false god because he's, he's reading what Jesus said here. And he says if you make greed a god, he said, what sort of a god is that that's not even capable of defending? 
defending itself against moth, rust, or thieves. A pretty poor God indeed. And he evaluates this greed that in the world, and he puts it again very starkly and bluntly, but I think pretty accurately. He tells people, he says, the world is one big whorehouse. It is completely submerged in greed. He says, we have to live in it, and we have to be tempted by these examples and these allurements. And lest we be tempted to think that it's just rich people that have to worry about greed. No, no, no. That is not true. Because rich people may have additional challenges and temptations because they have more stuff. But poor people can be greedy too. Middle class people can be greedy too, can't they? They can scheme, they can try to become wealthy by some of these nefarious means. So whether someone is rich or they're poor, they could still define themselves by their possessions. I mean, somebody might be living out of their car and everything they've got is in there, but if, if that's how they define themselves by what little they have, we're defining themselves the wrong way, the same as a rich person to define themselves by how big their yacht is compared to their other friends, right? So the sin here is, is the root of this is, is greed. It is, it is trusting in possessions and the acquisition of these possessions as the most important thing in your life. However much money you're recording on your taxes that you made this year. But what are we to make of verse 23? It's kind of interesting. Jesus says there in verse 23, But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Now the Greek word that is translated there in the King James Version as evil, it can also be translated as bad or unhealthy into English. Now this sounds a little bit bizarre to us, this example Jesus is giving, but his original hearers, again, we want to understand what were they thinking when they heard this, um, he was really connecting with his audience because in the Mediterranean culture, the eye is extremely important. They have beliefs about this that are very strong even to this day. You see, the eyes, he's using light and darkness here because it was seen that the eyes were the place that light entered your body. They were even seen as a window <coughs> to the soul. Even today, what do we talk about? We say make eye contact when you talk to people. Look at their eyes. And we can we talk about reading people's eyes, especially back when everybody's wearing masks. That's like the only thing you saw, right? But you can see, you know, say, well, what, what are the person's eyes telling you? Even all the love stories, oh, I just looked into their eyes and that was it, right? So we, we still have this today, right? But in the Middle Eastern or the Mediterranean, really, not just the Middle Eastern, but the whole Mediterranean culture, this is a very strong belief, the evil eye. Giving someone the evil eye. And it's still very strong today. See, it is believed that misfortune can be brought upon someone if you look at them a certain way with your eyes or you make a, a gesture towards them, pointing from your eyes to them. It's a little, little trivia question for you here. Like, you know, if you've ever seen a rock concert, people do this, and they get like, it feels like a devil horns, maybe, kind of thing. Maybe I should put that in the sermon audio. So, what would the best? So, so, 
take a screenshot of that, I'm in trouble now, okay? But I did the, the illustration. But that, uh, the, the person who really made that popular uh, was a, a, a heavy metal singer named Ronnie James Dio. And uh, you know where he said he got that from? It wasn't devil horns, it was his Italian grandmother used to gesture like that with the evil eye. It's like giving the evil eye. That's, I mean, true story. Okay, you, can, you can look it up on YouTube if you don't believe it's kind of interesting. But um, that's your little tidbit for today. But the point is, this is very much a common thing, this evil eye and bringing curses upon someone. And, and today, people in this region, I know it's a big, big thing in Greece, people will wear like necklaces or amulets with a clear and open eye on them, and that is supposed to ward the evil eye off from you, okay? So when Jesus makes this reference, this helps us understand the context a little bit when he's talking about the good and the, the evil eye, because this was vital to how people were thinking. But, okay, we're not living in the Mediterranean, but what about us? Think about the eyes. The eyes guide us, don't they? Your eye guides you. What we see with our eyes, it directs our minds and our bodies to take certain actions, right? You're walking along and you see a step and you step up. You see an obstacle, you're driving and you somebody's going slow in front of you, they're passing or get over. The eyes direct the direction that we're going in. What how we see things will affect what we do. So if your spiritual vision is evil or unhealthy, such as being focused on material possessions, well then your whole path of your life will be wrong, won't it? If you've got your spiritual vision wrong, you're just you're just gonna go in the wrong direction. That's all there is to it. So the third example of the wrong orientation of life is brought in by Jesus, and he speaks of the two masters in verse 24. Jesus preaches that you cannot serve two masters as a slave or a servant, but only have one master. So essentially, the choice here is you will be a servant of God, or you will be a servant of the world, which is the devil. If you try to have spiritual double vision, it's only going to lead to disaster. The choice between the two masters, it must be made. This is because, as Jesus says, what will happen if you don't make that choice of direction? You will either hate the one and love the other, or else you will hold to the one and despise the other. So Jesus closes this section of the Sermon on the Mount with a blunt statement to bring this dichotomy into focus. As we just talked about eyes, let's bring this into focus. He says, ye cannot serve God and mammon. Those are your two masters. One of those two will be your master. Now the modern translation, the King James uses the traditional translation there of mammon. Uh, many of the modern translations of the Bible, if you read that, it'll say what? It'll say money. It'll say money or it'll say riches. So you can't serve God and money. And, and you know, people don't know what mammon is today. I get that, but... The, the word here, mammon, is, is, is the better translation because the word mammon comes from an Aramaic word, which was the dialect most people spoke in Jesus' time. And mammon means literally like materialism. It means the material things of the world. And we know that can be more than money, right? So money kind of gets people to understand, okay, you serve God around, but really mammon, it's more encompassing. It's, it's the materialism. Your pursuit of it is materialism. So what that does is it takes us back to that idea of earth 
Testament. It takes us back to the earthly treasure and the folly of that earthly treasure. Treasure. Yes, the money is the pursuit of the world. Money is the, what most people are after, right? I mean, if you want to attract a crowd, start giving away money. It'll be like a shark feeding, feeding frenzy on Discovery Channel. Okay? I promise you. But money can buy lots of other things too, can't it? It could even be a person that doesn't have expensive things, but they still find that identity, as I said earlier, in the material things they do have. But remember, it's not the money itself that is evil. It's the love of that money. It's the pursuit of money above everything else. It's the willingness to do all types of things. All types of things to earn, to gain that worldly wealth. To completely compromise and say, well, money, this is the end, of, end goal. So the root of this, just like Luther preached 500 years ago, it's greed. The root of it's greed. The root of it is coveting, keeping up with the Joneses. I got to have what everybody else has. It's not fair, God. And really, going even deeper, it's making something else more important than God, which is making that thing your God. Sounds kind of like the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? Remember, what have I told you multiple times? The Sermon on the Mount is a big part of it. Is Jesus giving us the New Testament uh, explanation of the Ten Commandments, which is really what God meant all along. He's just clearing things up for us. So thus it's apparent what Jesus is doing. He's contrasting the eye, the focus which brings light as opposed to an eye that brings the pursuit of evil. And so there are two paths presented here. There's the way of God, there's the way of man and or materialism. So followers of Jesus are those that live in the light of God. Serving and following him above everything else. So before we conclude, we need to bring into focus the proper focus of the true treasure. I spent most of the time talking about the false treasure, the treasure that's not eternal, but there's another treasure that Jesus talks about. There is treasure. And I believe that the key verse, a lot of times when you have one of these readings, there's a key verse that helps you really understand it. And I think for this text, it's verse 21. It's verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. That's really what it comes down to. What's your treasure? That's where your heart's going to be. That's what Jesus said. And when he says heart here, he's obviously speaking of this is our being. Our being of a person. His or her mind, their emotions, their will. So you ask yourself questions like this. What is your life all about? What are your goals? Do you serve God or have you created a false God of materialism? Which is really in the end just serving yourself because that's what you want, right? If you do that. You ask yourself, what is precious to you? What is the center of your life? What do you spend your time and energy pursuing? These things will reveal what your heart is. And as Jesus said, and he's always dead on, this is what he's saying in verse 21. Because there are two types of treasure. We heard about the first one, the treasures that are sinful, that we pursue sinfully. The treasures themselves may not be sinful, but our pursuit of them is. They're only temporary, because remember what comes, the law, the rust, the thief, and ultimately death will come. And those treasures will be of no use to you. 
They certainly won't buy your way into heaven. But on the other hand, life can be spent accumulating treasures in heaven, Jesus says. A life of service to God, serving your neighbor, this is the path. It's one that acknowledges, yes, we do need physical and material things to survive, but our life is not centered on those things. It's trusting in God to provide your needs. Despite what the sinful world will scream at you, the treasures in heaven, they are the best treasures. Because they're not temporary, they are eternal. The moth will not come to devour those treasures. Rust will not come for those treasures. Thieves cannot break in and steal those treasures. Now, truth be told, there might be some delayed gratification in those treasures. But they're better. They're more glorious than any of the shiny objects the world can offer. So yes, we do good works as servants of the true God, but the greatest treasures of heaven cannot be purchased with any money that we have earned. And that's really the best part of all, isn't it? Because the treasures of heaven, while they cannot be earned by us, they have been earned by God himself. They are a gift from God, and God puts that gift right into our laps. These treasures, we receive them in faith because they have been paid for by the suffering and death of Jesus Christ himself. The treasures of forgiveness, eternal salvation, eternal life, they are the glorious kingdom of God, and those are ours in faith. The treasure of heaven is our eternal home. This is where God treasures to live. He treasures to live with his people eternally. May our hearts be there also. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.